Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Gonzalo Lima, capital markets ecosystem lead at R3, the provider of private, scalable DLT platforms to regulated financial industries. Our topic is the future of post-trade infrastructures in the securities, money, and funds markets. Gonzalo, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dominique. Now, post-trade seems a deeply natural candidate for DLT. It's got very high uh, and costly levels of intermediation uh, and reconciliation activity going on in the background. Yet, progress has been agonizingly slow. Why do you think that is? Um, thanks, Dominic. Uh, uh, my, my view is slightly different. I, I think um, DLT is definitely the right technology for, uh, for the post-trade space. Um, I think we all probably suffer from the, 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 the fact that we are living it and we are all uh, impatient and we, we see all these benefits and uh, it takes time to actually implement these projects. The, and my view is that um, better safe than rushed uh, particularly on the regulated space. So you, we need to ensure that when we do these big, the, big the deployments, uh, such as SDX and others, um, it's safe uh, and it ensures that the main function of, of these FMIs that are currently uh, ensuring the safety, uh, fair and efficient markets for, for, uh, for all of us, um, they continue to do so in a more efficient way with DLT. So I agree with you that DLT is the right technology uh, to, to ensure that uh, inefficiencies in post-trade and risks are removed. Um, and some of the silos are removed as well. I think in terms of the speed, uh, yes, for us that live in it, we feel that probably it should be adopted faster, but, uh, but we want it to be uh, uh, done safer uh, and the adoption will, will come after. I wondered if the ownership structure of, of a lot of financial market infrastructures plays a role here. You often hear people working for, for CSDs and CCPs, indeed even occasionally stock exchanges even these days, despite everything that's happened, that a collaborative approach, a sort of mutually owned uh, model is the appropriate one um, for financial market infrastructures. Now, do you think that is a model which would actually help the adoption of, of DLT or should we have a more competitive approach in which I don't know, some CSDs adopt DLT and go down that path and others stay where they are and we see what happens. I think, uh, thanks Dominic, I think what we are seeing currently is that a lot of the, the, the central exchanges and CCPs and even central banks, they're all uh, either trialing or being or doing live projects on, on these. Um, my view is that there are definitely places in post-trade or parts of the post-trade flow that are less competitive and and they they are uh, uh, um, they should be uh, collaboratively um, collaboratively um, uh, addressed. Um, so the main reason for me to say that is if we if we if things go wrong on the post trade space, they can be quite costly uh, to to the participants. So a collaborative approach is is the right one. There are other processes that might be uh, competitive. Uh, so, for example, some participants might might do uh, compression or might do um, uh, innovations or some other activities using the trades 
that uh, have been done elsewhere. And for those, I think competition will still exist. Uh, but I think the, the whole idea of DLT is that you will have the network that uh, processes that are less competitive can be done uh, uh, um, safely and collaboratively, and processes that will be that, that will remain competitive different participants will come and the end client will choose who to opt in but my view is that the post rates currently um, uh, from settlement to uh, to custody and so on there are areas that are non-revenue uh, accretive and if they go wrong they can be quite costly so it's on that those processes that i think the 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 the, the optimum point is to bring together the different participants to ensure that um, the main function of FMIs remains uh, remains sound, uh, which is fair and efficient markets. Right. Now, now you, you've emphasized in both your answers that these infrastructures, failure is not an option. They have to be, they have to be safe, they, they have to work. Now, I wonder what part regulation plays, nothing unusual in regulation, it's, it's regulated markets, as I said at the outset of what R3 specializes in, uh, in servicing. So, is regulation a negative factor here, by which I mean that there is no single set of, of digital asset laws in any of the major markets or across the major markets, which gives people the confidence to go down this path. These are regulated entities, they're users of regulated entities, but you've got this balkanized system, different digital asset laws and regulations across the North America, Europe, Asia. Is that a factor which is weighing on the minds of some of the entities you talk to, which is weighing against them committing fully in terms of investment to creating this GLT-based post-trade infrastructure? So regulation, for sure, as, as you uh, mentioned uh, at the start, we, we are active in that space. Um, I think regulation uh, previously was more of um, was perceived as more of a blocker than it is now. Currently, I think the perception is changing. Um, and much to the credit of the regulators themselves that actually are bringing pilot regimes, bringing um, sandboxes and encouraging the industry to, uh, to adopt better practices. I think the Bank of England report on the post-trade uh, emphasizes that, yes, whilst the post-trade is functional, uh, it's still complex and uh, and can be uh, made more efficient with other technologies. So uh, going back to your question, regulation, yes, the lack of harmonization across states doesn't, um, doesn't uh, help, but I think uh, regulators via consultations, via different uh, regimes, they're trying to encourage people to participate actively and harmonization standards will will come uh, over time. And uh, what I think it's quite interesting is that the collaboration amongst private and public sectors uh, on the adoption uh, and uh, on how to engage with the, this technology has been quite constructive. And we saw uh, the BCBS consultations and others uh, that, uh, that are uh, very, very much uh, uh, proactive in getting the answers from the practitioners and trying to build that into the, the regulatory regimes. Now, we, we do have experience of a, a, a regulated DLT-based CSD in the shape of, of ID2S, um, which um, failed recently. Um, it was aimed at the, at the um, French and hopefully wider European commercial paper markets. Now, one of the reasons for, or among the reasons for the failure of, of, of ID2S was a, an unhelpful regulatory regime in the EU. You had to record uh, uh, and settle assets inside a traditional CSD. 
Um, and then the European Union also had this proposed regulatory sandbox, the, the so-called pilot regime, it, it, which you've just referred to. The, one of these sandboxes can be helpful, but this one appears to be unhelpful in the sense the, the thresholds or the ceilings, yeah. it's probably a better term, for issuance and market cap are set relatively low. Um, I mean, I don't know, you probably have a view on on on, on yeah. why ID2S failed. Maybe you'd like to share that with us. A lot of uh, what I learned, uh, and I think your interview with Andrea uh, Tranquillini was uh, was uh, was quite uh, helpful to me. Uh, and I think one of the lessons that we all uh, have from from experience and from life is that timing in business is is usually uh, uh, critical. And and I think ID2S was one of those examples. Whilst the idea and uh, and uh, um, and the construct is still valid. Um, it was, in my perspective, and again, from what I read, uh, uh, I wasn't particularly involved, um, but from my perspective, is it, it was the timing. I think technology was uh, uh, being uh, made available and it proved that, yes, it can work, but the regulatory regime uh, was probably one of the, uh, the, biggest, um, the biggest issues. And the, 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 the problem I see more than the regulatory regime in which uh, ID2S was, was in was the business. Uh, so the problem is that most of the businesses these days, they have a, a time frame that very quickly needs, uh, requires some uh, return. And, uh, and I think uh, the, the regulatory regime timelines uh, might not have uh, been coincidental with the business needs of the, the, the people funding ID2S, because I think the idea is sound, and um, and the implementation uh, uh, was what was uh, was what has failed. But I think all failed and successful projects are always big learnings uh, for the industry. And I think we all learned that uh, uh, regulation can now be an enabler. Um, timing the investments uh, to the to the the uptake of demand is is critical. And I think we all build that into mm -hmm. our projects going forward. Actually, one of the points that Andrea Tranquillini made in that interview, he's the former CEO of, of ID2S, was that actually the, the wider ecosystem wasn't that, wasn't that supportive either. And that strikes me as a case where the regulators could have intervened to say, well, actually, you need to interoperate with this entity if we're going to get more uh, competitive and productive financial markets. Do you think that's a, I a, think a positive that way? Been, yeah. I, I, I read that point as well, and I think that has now... Uh, uh, the, the context is now completely different. I think regulators are engaging not only on the on the DLT for post trades. Bank of England came out with a with their report on post trades, um, but also there's also the, the, a lot of engagement on the central bank digital currencies as well. So I, I think his context was probably different from the context that we are now experiencing, and um, and I, I, I'm sure his experience and his learnings will be uh, adopted. Uh, more widely, but I think the context now is completely different, and and uh, uh, the, the proactiveness is is there. Now, another area in which regulators are, are proactive, if you like, is in is in shortening settlement timetables. Certainly in the United States, is there a, a way in which DLT can actually help the industry progress towards settlement on T plus one? You've got a lot less time. Um, uh, whether we go to T plus zero or not, I, I, I don't know. But but can DLT help with shorter settlement timetables? 
Yes, so that's the short answer. Uh, and so we could we could end the, the response there, but actually I'll try to, to make it more interesting. Uh, yes, the short answer is DLT can definitely help in, in settlement acceleration and settlement discipline. So one of the other areas that I think uh, is quite interesting is the CSDR regulation um, or CSDR, um, DR is for regulations, so sorry for that. But um, CSDR is, is also uh, um, asking for settlement discipline. And, and I think DLT there can help reducing a lot of risk and removing a lot of the inefficiency and the failed settlements in the, that will be quite punitive for the industry to, uh, to, 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 to continue to have. But in terms of settlement acceleration, DLT is the right, uh, is the right technology for it. And we are seeing live projects with DTCC Project ION uh, that they are using DLT and uh, we are lucky enough to have been chosen or uh, our technology is robust enough for them to have chosen us. Um, and, um, and we are quite uh, involved in that project to make sure that settlement can be accelerated to T plus one. And that will have many, many benefits to the participants. Uh, ultimately, it will allow people to deploy capital faster to the, the, the real economy. So that is the ultimate goal. Uh, but you can only do that if the technology allows you to do so. Uh, the move from T plus one to T zero is a different one. So whilst the technology also allows for that, the T0 raises a, a, a few other governance questions and roles questions that I think the industry needs to first understand T plus one fully, uh, get the benefits, quantify the benefits of moving from T plus three to T plus one, and then uh, one, when the time is right, uh, moving to T0 eventually. But the technology definitely allows for both. Well, something that would definitely help uh, move to T plus zero is getting the cash leg of securities transactions onto onto the ledger, if you like. Now, um, central banks, in this case, are the regulators that are relevant. Uh, and if they created central bank digital currencies, put fiat currency, made it available on the ledger, that would uh, enable faster settlement to be achieved. Now, that's some way off, in I, I think, in, in major markets. So what about working with, with stable coins? Um, Let's say that 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 an infrastructure decides to use stable coins for the cash leg when it first gets going, with a view to adopting CBDCs as and when they become available. Does that make it easier to adopt CBDCs when they come along, or does it actually make it harder? Maybe you have some general observations here on the balance between stable coins and CBDCs in the future. Yes, I have personal views, Dominic, uh, as most of the views on this interview. Um, so. Um, we, we normally like to think of it as tokenized cash. And the reason for that is there are some stable coins projects out there, some of them more successful than others. So you probably saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Facebook or Meta decided to drop their DM uh, project, um, and, and uh, which basically tell us that, uh, or tells us that um, the stable coin is, uh, is an interesting space, but probably not one that we are uh, currently um, completely focusing on. We are more focused on tokenized cash and ensuring that the ledger solutions that we bring have, uh, that, uh, as you described, the, the cash lake um, in a token format. So you can move both the assets and the cash at the same speed with uh, and providing DVP, delivery versus payment, DVD, delivery versus delivery, if it's two assets, or PVP, payment versus payment. So our view is that cash is key 
in a token format to ensure that both sides, uh, the asset and the cash, move at the same speed. Um, stable coins are definitely something that um, some, some of our clients ask us to look into. Uh, I think together with that, we look into the tokenization of cash to ensure that the network has that element. Um, but going back to your question and the linkage with CBDCs, we believe that yes, the ultimate goal is to bring the CBDC into the ledger. So, and by tokenizing the cash now, we can, um, once the central banks are ready to adopt or to, to, to uh, go live with, um, with uh, CBDCs, the idea is that we can just uh, plug in that uh, CBDC into, uh, into the, the, the network. Um, did that answer your question? Well, you said it makes it sound easier, but I'm, I'm interested by, by, by the distinction you draw between stable coins and tokenized cash. I think many people would, would see those two as kind of merging into a single uh, type of substance. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, that fair point. So a stable coin, the way I see it is um, you have um, a token that has that represents one to one uh, or has a relationship with the underlying reserve, um, which for uh, in the example of, uh, of of a circle or a tether, it should have a reserve um, that uh, that uh, um, uh, ensures the value of that coin. The way I'm describing tokenized cash is in a network. The network participants have deposits um, in their network. Imagine a regulated liability network that each of the participants has deposits into it or um, uh, or cash uh, that they have um, in that network and they can tokenize it and bring it to that network. So it doesn't want, it's not a, a currency to be used by all the participants out there, it, uh, but it's something that the participants of that assets network um, agree between themselves to have a, a, a form of a cash in the in a token format to ensure that uh, you can uh, it, the asset can remain liquid. So that's the distinct, uh, distinction I'm drawing. A stablecoin is something that has um, has a, um, a wider reach than a tokenized cash into a regulated network. Yeah. That, did that make sense? Yeah, that's a very helpful distinction because it, it prompts a second thought in my mind, which is which is this. One of the factors that the securities industry has dealt with, security services industry has dealt with for a long time, is the internalization of, of settlements. So if two clients of the same bank are, are doing business with each other, they can settle it within the bank without going yeah. out into the financial market infrastructure. And we see that stable coins are being used by banks such as JP Morgan and Wells Fargo in a very similar way, not yet as yeah. far as I know in securities, but certainly in their in their trade and and normal payments businesses, they're starting to settle uh, transactions using a kind of internal stable yes. coin. Is this is this is it, is part of your planning the idea that stable coins might evolve into a similar sort of role in the in the securities or money markets or funds industries? Yes. So let me go back to those examples because those are great examples of uh, of um, of tokens or tokenized cash that uh, that both JP Morgan and um, and uh, um, Wells Fargo use. There's a reason why they're not exposing that to other participants. Um, so whilst it's great for them to use it and make their um, uh, internal operations faster, uh, safer, uh, and uh, with less risk, 
it is it, because of the of some of the unclar the unclarity that uh, or lack of clarity that exists around the the, the potential treatment of stablecoins, um, exposing those stablecoins to the to other participants might uh, create some some uh, very very um, uh, punitive uh, um, RWA treatment, and that's that that's probably the reason why some of those currencies that uh, or uh, tokenized cash forms that uh, banks have created are not being uh, exposed to other participants. Uh, so that is on the on the stablecoin question. Then the rest of your question, Dominic. Sorry, help me help me here. I think it was, it was about internalization. Whether oh yes, so, so definitely, yeah, it definitely has a. It allows for uh, banks or even um, other um, uh, uh, large corporates that have operations in multiple places. The fact that they can do those those uh, uh, transfers internally without having to go uh, external and using the traditional ways that can be costly that take two days and so on yes there's a lot of advantages of doing so um and we can expect more of uh, more adoption of such uh, of such uh, um uh, solutions uh, in internalized networks um the other thing that we are also seeing is projects such as finality and others where they're trying to bring uh, more participants to have um, to have this uh, settlement coin between themselves that uh, that will uh, eventually uh, make the um, the payments and the settlement faster and safer. Um, so we have both. I wouldn't think that privately issued coins would be um, would be used um, very widely, particularly the ones issued by banks. Uh, would be used uh, very widely because of the of the capital treatment. But once those things are addressed and understood, and and some of the the, the BCVS consultation was about that, uh, the treatment of the different assets, stable, stable coins, crypto assets, and so on, was all the same way. And I think the industry gave gave a lot of feedback to to to, to on the BCVS consultation to ensure that netting um the the and stable coins were treated differently uh, than, than other crypto yeah and i guess that distinction between commercial bank money and central bank money will persist into the future as well uh, and not necessarily just in the form of cbdc's either but i guess what finality is trying to do uh, makes that point as well um anyway to move on to or go back to what we were talking about uh, about csds one of the the clients that you're working with at, at r3 is the rchac subsidiary montis which is building a digital um csd now the answer to this question might be very straightforward might be well the european regulation says you have to use a csd so rchac has to have one but i suspect the answer is more interesting why does a dlt based digital exchange like rchac actually need a csd when the whole point of uh, of dlt in general and and I have in mind here particularly the benchmark EIB bond issue uh, in April last year, which we all paid very close attention to. That wasn't issued into a CSD because yeah. you don't need one, really, do you? So, so what's the what's the logic here of our checks and or Montes building a, a digital CSD? So, I think um, there are roles, and uh, again, let's go back. Um, some jurisdictions still need uh, a CSD for uh, for finality um, and and. Uh, the, the the vision is that uh, CSDs and other FMIs will still have their role of uh, ensuring fair and efficient markets and 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 so on. So the idea is that um, the tech can um, 
the tech the technology works in in each case um but if you need to to go into the csd flow and make sure that the 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 the, the, the bond is is there on the csd you can also have that uh, node but the idea here is that the digital CSD, as we are uh, talking about, um, will ensure the governance, will ensure the standards, will ensure um, all the, 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 the good practices that the CSD needs to have. Then for settlement purposes, whether it goes to the, uh, to the CSD or not, that will uh, be um, uh, aligning uh, to the to the regulation that is required in different states. So um, so that's the, the the idea. Did that answer your question, uh, Dominic? I wonder if there's a long term um, a, a agenda here, in which in a, in a way CSDs become an, a, a continuing important part of the of the ecosystem because they've certainly changed their their role. They've changed the the things that they do, and so they don't do necessarily the, the sort of issuance and and settlement and safekeeping functions they do today. They do all sorts of different things. And I wonder if, in fact, if Montes is, is a is, is a forward-looking project. Um, yes. So uh, yes, it is. Yeah. But the idea is, in any of these projects, particularly in this regulated space, you need to understand um, to understand how it works and make the bridge of the technology today and what's required today, and then see what redundant steps are are there. To make it more efficient, but always ensuring it's uh, it's the right um, it's the right process for uh, the problem that we are trying to address. So so that's the idea: is that uh, the technology can and it, it goes back to the settlement point. Whilst technology is is able to deal with the settlement in T zero, um, it's not the right time to go for it. So and the same thing here: um, the CSD uh, step uh, for settlement can probably be removed. Um, at some point, but it's not our role to say whether it's needed or not. There's regulation in different jurisdictions to say so. What we want to show is that the technology enables for the different models that are likely to occur. Some states might require a CSD, some other states might not require a, a, a CSD. The idea is that the technology allows for uh, being compliant with both whilst ensuring more efficiency and, and removing some cost and risk from the system. Yeah. So it's about building bridges to the future, uh, as well as yes. getting to the future immediately. Uh, talking of which, you know, we often talk as if uh, getting rid of intermediaries is what DLT is all about, and CSDs are just another intermediary we can jettison in due course. But are there asset classes uh, or financial markets which don't have the sort of CSD style post-trade financial market infrastructure today that you think might benefit from having one. And what I have in mind here is another of your clients, um, Instimatch, uh, in the money markets, where it's actually introducing a financial market infrastructure to a market that doesn't have one before. Um, thanks, Dominic. Um, you you continue to bring great uh, great examples. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, so that's that's our vision as well. That uh, the roles will adapt and evolve, um, and and principles and uh, procedures that were adopted in, in other asset classes can be now used in, in new asset classes, or even traditional asset classes such as money markets might now adopt some standards that previously they didn't. But the idea here is that um, the FMI, uh, independently of its role, 
it will always be, uh, no one can disintermediate the trust. Um, so uh, the trust of these central FMIs uh, that are, uh, uh, that are uh, um, managed according to the PFMI, uh, the principles for financial market infrastructures uh, from, BC, uh, from BCBS, IOSCO, I believe. So that role uh, from a regulated uh, perspective will continue. How that role then is done can be done differently depending on the technology that you're built in. The, the idea here is that now you can start bringing other assets using the same sort of governance and trust and, and, uh, and principles that um, we try to bring uh, with, uh, to, to, to this space. So that's effectively how we see it, is that the role of the FMI can potentially be extended to new asset classes. You mentioned money markets, but uh, some people come to us talking about uh, crypto ETFs and so on. So it could be, you can apply the same principles um, and trust and governance, uh, good principles into either other assets that existed that previously were not governed by the same principles or new assets that come in. Because the reality is that investors need safety in order to put their cash there. Uh, and, uh, and, and the idea is that we, the technology can enable it, but it's not our role to define it. There's other people, the regulators and the participants that are in a better position to know what those uh, uh, features are. What we can ensure is that our technology allows for them to build those uh, features into the smart contracts that then will be issued into the networks. Now, we've talked about building these, these bridges to the future. You can't achieve these things immediately. You, you have to do it over time. Timing is important. You also said a minute ago that no one can disintermediate the trust which these financial markets infrastructures provide. You referred to the principles for financial market infrastructures, you know, published by the CPMI, IOSCO, uh, the committees of the BIS. Um, anybody visiting your website would read that that R3 believes that, you know, what you've just said, that you can never disintermediate the trust in these established financial markets. You're always going to need these trusted regulated intermediaries. Um, and so my question is this, um, if, if the intermediaries persist, and the blockchain story has always been that you get rid of the intermediaries, and that's how you make them more efficient. How can you make markets more efficient without disintermediating people? How do you cut the costs without losing people taking bites out of the value chain as it passes by? That's that's a very good question, Dominic. So, um, and it's one that usually uh, uh, some of our clients ask us, and um, and I think the response is twofold. One, um, there is definitely. Um, middleware that the industry is using that might not be needed in the in the in the future, and that middleware themselves might uh, need to um, and some of them are engaging with us in projects to bring their processes into a DLT environment because the the, the reality is that the trades the interactions can all be on the network and then you just uh, bring the value-add uh, processes uh, on top and uh, and uh, and products. So, whilst um, people can keep those processes that have value-add, I think a lot of the reconciliation, a lot of the, the 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 middleware that the industry ends up using, which is quite costly, um, can be can definitely uh, uh, be um, be removed um, and. 
what that will mean to some of the businesses that live from that from the middleware that they provide, they will need to adapt into this new uh, technology, or they might end up with a with a different role. But the idea here is that it's not for R three or us to determine um, who whose service has more value than others. What what we are trying to provide is. If you have a network, build it in Corda uh, and offer your service to a network of clients and, uh, and those clients will have trades and you can then bring the value add services into it what, whilst removing heavy reconciliation processes, heavy files going back and forth between uh, different participants, heavy trade reporting uh, um, machinery. So all of those things can eventually be removed and that's our vision. But it's not for us to determine that uh, that uh, rec uh, reconciliation engine is less valuable than others. Um, but uh, that will will be something that the market participants will uh, naturally uh, adopt or not if uh, they still see value. Mm -hmm. I can see that you can preserve the intermediaries. They end up doing a lot less reconciliation amongst themselves, and over time they start to ask, well. How much value is this is this particular form of intermediation adding maybe we need to do something different so it kind of evolves over time i can i can see that very clearly but there must be markets in which if you do introduce dlt a kind of almost immediate consequence of what happens is uh, is disintermediation i'm thinking here of uh, of the mutual fund market i know you're working with, with fund admin chain who's looking to to introduce a tokenized model into the mutual fund markets and it seems to me and i've looked at this quite closely if you if you introduce a DLT model into that market, uh, it's very difficult to see why you would need to persist with the order routing networks. I mean, the Callistones and the Bestimers and the fund settles mm -hmm. here in Europe, um, and of course, fund serve in, in the United States. Why would you need those order routing networks? And also, why would you need the transfer agents actually to do to do the settlement? They might find something else to do, but but that settlement function they have dealing with the with the banks and so on would almost inevitably disappear. Otherwise. Why would you bother to introduce DLT to the funds markets? Are there, is my is my example unfair? Are there other markets where where you get that immediate change? Uh, so I agree with you that some of the business uh, models will will need to adjust. Uh, the way we view it is that, interestingly enough, it's usually those um, that are central to those to operations that end up being the ones uh, more um, proactive in trying to adopt better technologies. For one simple reason, uh, uh, Dominic, it, they, they know how critical their processes are. Um, and usually those, the, the, those agents end up in the difficult space of having risky processes that they end up managing and the technology that they, ha they have require lots of different uh, uh, sources of data and so on. If they bring those processes into a technology that removes their risk from the system, it's it's beneficial to them. Um, and therefore, they are, uh, in some cases, the ones uh, that are on the forefront of seeing whether this technology can, can, uh, can be adapted to their business and their case. Um, and in some cases, uh, uh, that's how it works. And they can also, whilst reducing risk, in, in a lot of cases, they can reduce risk, uh, uh, cost and, and therefore their operation can become more profitable and uh, they offer a better service to clients. But look, this is, there will be examples where some providers might, uh, might fail and in this transition, they might not be able to do it. But again, that is not 
the purpose of the of the technology. The technology is there to make uh, the the processes more efficient to anyone uh, that currently interacts with regulated financial institutions. So, our vision is that. Uh, everybody that has currently operations with these participants can potentially benefit from a, a network and the distributed ledger technology to um, to orchestrate some of the the interactions between all of, all of these uh, participants. It's not for us to say this val this uh, process will will have less value than that uh, the, the, than that other process. So, but. Going back to your question, some might survive, some might not, but it's not a disruption that um, that we are actively looking for. It's like business, uh, uh, like any business. Uh, um, Blockbuster probably saw Netflix uh, and um, and didn't react, um, and they disappeared. But it's not for us to say who's Netflix or who's Blockbuster. Yeah, and I, and I guess listening to you, one of the factors at work here which we're which we're likely to underestimate is that the service providers themselves are not in complete control of that speed of change they might as you say the technology has no intent they might adopt the technology and find it makes them more efficient but maybe their clients are not really comfortable with, with that yet they want somebody to stand between them and the various risks and make them whole if something goes wrong so you can only move at the pace of your users uh, you don't control it entirely within your own organization do you that's right, um, and and that is where some challenges might come to some firms because the the, the time for adoption can be quite um, quite um, resource consuming, particularly for new new firms that come to the market. Some of these uh, uh, projects take uh, several years, and um, and and that can be a, a factor. And I think that's why regulators are so actively. Uh, um, they see the benefits. They see that there are risks, systemic risks that can be better addressed uh, with this technology, and therefore they're creating the space to prompt adoption, removing some of the uncertainty of participants. Um, that uh, uh, is this safe or not? So um, we, but we can't control the speed. What we are seeing is that um, because some projects went live. Um, there is more appetite and with the right um, uh, enabler context with regulation sandboxes and others, uh, we see a lot more interest in being active in this space. Um, so, um, and, and hopefully the network starts growing by, uh, by uh, bringing more of, these, uh, uh, more of these projects to life. Mm -hmm. Well, one reason it's going to be resource intensive for them is that they'll end up for a period dual running. They'll have some clients on the old system and some on the new system, and they've got to support both of them. But that creates yes. another problem, doesn't it? That you've got you've got DLT networks operating and you've got the traditional infrastructures operating as well. And these two are somehow going to have to be linked. They're going to have to interoperate with each yes. other. Um, That's right. And yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, Dominic. Finish, finish, finish your question. Well, I was only going to ask whether whether that that's a particular problem with CSDs or it's a problem across all financial market infrastructures. It's a problem across all financial market infrastructures. Uh, you can't forget the old or the legacy or the traditional and just build on the new. But there's different models. Uh, you can see an SDX that created a new completely digital exchange. Uh, where they still have the Swiss uh, uh, Swiss group exchanges uh, in the traditional model, but their vision is that at some point 
um, that might uh, the digital side will overtake the the, um, the the traditional. But you can't switch off the traditional straight away. But the idea is that you can you can uh, the new process using DLT can actually cope with the traditional finance uh, sites, and you can naturally can bring more business into the digital digital um, ledger uh, technology um, orchestrated um, uh, processes. So, the, but there's different approaches. There's the the, the Swiss group uh, that created the separate entity. There's, for example, um, Deutsche Börse on D7. They are building the digital within themselves, um, and some others are are doing uh, similar um, uh, projects. Uh, but the idea is that yes, you can't switch off the, the the legacy straight away, but what you can do is choosing the processes that you want to migrate so that you bring efficiency and you can achieve break-evens as you migrate to the new uh, world. And by removing the cost of the legacy, uh, the cost, the replacement cost on the new technology should be uh, at least uh, at least the same or less uh, for you to uh, have the incentive to make the change. And what we are seeing is that a lot of the clients, when they go through these numbers, they see that, yes, there's there's cost savings to be made in addition to the risk reduction that they can achieve. So cost saving plus risk reduction is a larger number than dual running. And legacy, yeah. exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, but just, just on the narrow question of interoperability, what is the key to that? Do we need standards in a word? Now we get oh, yes. Are we oh, yes. Uh, yes. So interoperability is a great is a great uh, question, and we have lots of uh, lots of um, uh, we have active projects uh, ensuring interoperability between uh, old and new, or uh, if we want to use other uh, traditional and and uh, and um, uh, decentralized finance. So we have. Uh, interoperability between public and permission blockchains, uh, and then interoperability between networks within our uh, our um, uh, uh, Corda environment as well. So interoperability, again, the same concept that I was trying to uh, earlier uh, allude to is we 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 don't want to pick winners. It's not our job to pick winners. Our job is to integrate and interoperate with whatever makes the, the, the end client's life easier and better. So the idea is that you, the future will be multiple chains um, that will need to interoperate with each other. And we, our vision is exactly that. We, will, we, we need to interoperate with uh, public chains. We need to interoperate between old and new systems. And we need to interoperate between new and new systems. So uh, that's definitely the vision. And, um, and uh, for that, going back to your uh, first uh, point there, standards are critical. So um, I think that understanding of what standards uh, the industry um, uh, should use um, definitely prompts interoperability. And again, not only regulation has been an enabler, but we also saw that is the common domain model um, uh, projects that actually try to ensure standards uh, uh, harmonization across um, across different asset classes and assets. And, and, uh, and that is very helpful um, to anyone working with this, these technologies because you can interoperate with whatever solution that ends up there. 
and it, we, we referred repeatedly to, to systems, platforms, or whatever, but it's not, of course, just new systems, new platforms, it's actually new asset classes as well, like crypto, like DeFi now, like like NFTs. To what extent um, is the work that R3 or what, what Corda is doing, or maybe a more basic question is, how can Corda help? I'm a CSD, I've got users who want to access cryptocurrency, DeFi, NFTs. Um, how can you help me do that? So um, that's a question that we get more and more, particularly as those markets are, um, are uh, quite um, uh, getting a lot of attention, not only because of the volumes that they move, but also some of the, um, some of the, 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 the significant uh, returns that they offer. Uh, so we get a lot of um, a lot of questions in that space, and our approach is um, the idea for us is that we need to ensure that people can participate in those networks, and sometimes they don't need to, uh, you don't need um, to go to the native cryptocurrency. Um, if we see bond issuances in public blockchains such as Ethereum, um, the idea is that at the end of the day. The holders of that uh, of, of of that assets, either crypto or um, a, a public issuance of a uh, of a bond, um, those assets might end up in a permission blockchain such as ours. Uh, it's likely that regulated financial institutions um, will want a permission blockchain to 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 keep those assets uh, so um, secure um, and um, it, uh, uh, and ensuring the the security of the of the, the and the privacy of the the, the, the holders. So the Corda is definitely building bridges uh, across the different asset classes and the different products that are out there. And um, and we also we also have um, not only interaction with some uh, or, or projects to interact with some of the exchanges, but we also have the concept of a decentralized exchange, which we show. Uh, on our central bank digital currencies uh, uh, sandbox and demos, uh, we have the concept of a decentralized exchange there, which is effectively effectively point to point people being able to transact between themselves. Mm -hmm. One final question for you, uh, Gonzalo, and it's this: it's a slightly unfair question. I'm going to ask you to peer uh, deep into the future. We've talked. You'll leave, uh, you'll leave the best to, to, to the end. Yeah, oh, the most difficult to the end. Anyway, um, we. We've talked a lot about, about CSDs, uh, but there are lots of other infrastructures out there, financial market infrastructures in the securities markets. You've got central counterparty clearinghouses. You've got trade repositories taking reports on, on derivatives. Uh, and then, of course, you've got, and these are linked to the securities markets, the payment market infrastructures for the cash leg. I'm talking RTGSs. I'm talking automated clearinghouses. I'm talking of CLS uh, in the FX market. I'm talking of SWIFT in, in cross-border payments as you look forward do you think and you you've been very clear about this that you're, you're not picking winners um you're here to supply technology you think to make things more efficient and it's up to the market participants to evolve those technologies in ways which make most most sense for them and their and their clients but as you look far ahead do you think we're going to need all of these infrastructures or are all of these infrastructures going to have to change themselves adapt to, to change what's what's your high level view of what how it's going to look as you peer 5 10 20 years ahead so i think we will move to the DF, the dfmi or dmi uh, the decentralized uh, uh, infrastructure market infrastructure um, and i think that's the vision that a lot of our participants look into um, and 
if you, if if we go back to the list of uh, of FMIs, so threat repositories, CCPs, CSDs, payment systems such as uh, um, uh, securities or or then uh, uh, cash. So all of those uh, can using DLT technology can make their processes more efficient and less risky. So for example, settlement can be made uh, can be made instantaneous and atomically uh, 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 swapping the assets, um, which remove a significant portion of, uh, of uh, credit risk from the, from the system, which is a good thing. Um, so uh, the, 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 the view there is that yes, those FMIs will stay, will still be there, uh, but can use the benefits of this technology to make sure that um, that the world becomes a, a less risky place and the capital gets deployed faster into the economy, which is, so that's in terms of settlement, I think uh, the view is we will still have settlement systems that are Governed and follow the principles of uh, of uh, uh, by CPMI, um, they, they will still exist in probably more efficient forms. Uh, you mentioned CLS. CLS is of course widely used and owned by several banks. Um, the idea is that the CLS concept will uh, uh, remain useful in the future. Does CLS need to be? solely uh, used in uh, 16 currencies probably not probably it can be extended with this technology can you're you're almost currency um agnostic you just use the same process pvp and you remove uh, uh, the, the credit risk from the system but again cls uh, uh, can adopt this uh, technology and make their process uh, faster um, and better same thing with swift uh, the ssi is on a swift instruction will move to from a cs from ssis to become wallet ids um, but again uh, the, the 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 format and the standard that swift implemented uh, is probably something that the industry will still use in whatever network they they are operating and finally the trade repositories currently there's masses and masses of files and megabytes or gigabytes of of data that uh, uh, that everybody's sending to uh, APAs to regulators and so on, um, and uh, and trade repositories themselves can can make their process better if they have access, or if access is granted to the trade repositories for the the the, the fields that they need to see of the trades that they need to see in the format that they need to see it. Uh, it's it's it makes their um, the whole industry much more efficient, uh, and with savings, for example, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, energy consumption as well. Uh, so, um, if we all have a, a better um, uh, uh, orchestrated uh, market, we can all um, use less resources to make it work. So, going back to your question, I think all of those FMIs will need to adapt and evolve. Uh, the technology that we offer can help them on that journey. Um, but there will still be processes that will need to be done outside DLT. So DLT is very efficient in, in removing these silos in making things more efficient. But at the same time, there are processes such as matching uh, trades, uh, matching engines that are probably better done outside the DLT because of the, of the speed and because of other, um, other processes that are already very well in, invested by the industry to make it work. So, 
the, the, the view is that there are processes that are legacy that can be moved into the chain. There are processes that if they're better done off ledger and off chain, they will stay that way. But the idea is that you can interoperate between the, the, the most efficient processes when, uh, uh, when needed. So that was my last question. I'm going to be very greedy because you, you made me think one more thing when you refer to CLS and to, and to central counterparty clearinghouses. The, the benefit, they one of the big benefits both of those entities deliver, both CLS and CCPs, is netting. You're saying yeah. that we, we can preserve the benefits of netting while using uh, DLT technology. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So uh, C, uh, I forgot to mention the CCP, so uh, thanks for bringing that. So CCPs definitely have a... Have a, a um, an interesting role, and um, and uh, um, and with this technology, um, they can make um, they can make better use of the collateral and the capital that institutions end up using. And yes, netting can can start can be done real time even uh, instead of instead of just uh, doing a cycle at a specific time or using this multilateral run. So a lot of other uh, uh, netting solutions and novation solutions can be used uh, both by these traditional uh, uh, fi fi financial providers, but also from from others. Uh, a lot of commercial firms have um, netting solutions and compression solutions. They can be adapted or built into the network, uh, and instead people sending spreadsheets with uh, trades. Uh, they can actually both look at the same version of the trade and say, I want to compress this trade, dear counterparty, do you agree? Um, and that makes the whole process safer, sound, uh, and, and so on. Uh, and CCPs also. The only issue that I think CCPs will need to, uh, to uh, look into is when settlement eventually moves to T0, the CCP role will be uh, quite an interesting one and governance around it might need to change because if you're settling in uh, uh, real time, um, the role of a CCP uh, needs to be adapted and the governance and some of the way they operate needs to be adapted. But again, it's a, it's a space that I don't have the answers to. I think the, in the industry needs to uh, sit down and see how uh, once we crack the T plus one, how would we move from the T plus one to a T zero world? And keep the benefits of netting. I think you're saying that that netting yes. and faster settlement, at least if not instant settlement, are not contradictory. You can have both. Yes, you can. Okay, that's a very good note to end on. Um, Gonzalo Lima, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us. Really good. Hopefully it was uh, helpful. It was a pleasure.